Well, I don't know if it was because last week was Valentine's Day or just love was in the air, but, but my thoughts went back to June 27, 1998. That was the day that I stood at the front of a church with my family and friends, and this gorgeous girl walked out from the back wearing a white dress, escorted by her father, walked down the aisle. I'll never forget that day. We exchanged rings. Uh, we repeated some vows back to one another. I even sang a, a song. It was a very sweet song. But if you were to ask me in the ceremony at that point, I would have told you that I'm not yet married. It wasn't until the preacher said these words. Maybe you've heard a preacher say this before at a wedding. He would say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And in that moment when he pronounced us husband and wife, I became something that I wasn't just moments before. I became a husband to Alicia. And I have woken up every day for almost 25 years now living into that identity. You see, in other words, who I am not only impacts, but it determines what I do. In other words, knowing who you are puts everything else in perspective. You know, I talk to people all the time, and they're like, well, what is the, the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? And those are all really good questions, but I'm telling you that knowing who you are will settle a lot of the big questions in life that come after that. And Jesus knew this. Jesus, we are right now in the middle of a series we're calling Kingdom Living. We're looking at the greatest communicator ever to live and the greatest sermon that he gave, Kingdom Living. And in this, Jesus begins, as we saw last week, he, not, he doesn't begin with demands and commands. He begins with blessing. He wanted us to know how blessed we are, especially those who may not think or feel that we're very blessed. But then he quickly goes on and he is starting to make a pronouncement of his own. It's not a pronouncement of marriage, it is a pronouncement of mission. He wants his disciples, as he's up on this mountainside and he's gathered his disciples to him, he wants them to know first and foremost who they are. Now, this sequence is really important because if, you, if you've ever noticed, sometimes in our culture we get this sequence a little bit backwards. Instead of knowing who we are, determining what we do, sometimes we, we hear, well, this is what I feel, or this is what I do. Therefore, this is who I am. Now, you can imagine the roller coaster that that puts us on, the roller coaster of emotion. It, because the way I feel, the way I behave, a good day, bad day, well, it's up and down. But knowing who you are sets everything else in perspective. And so Jesus, as he's gathered his disciples and he's talking to his disciples, before there is a, hey, here's what we're going to do, before there's a, here's the plan, before there's a, here's the strategy, Jesus gathers his disciples and he says, here's where I want to start. I want to start with, here's who you are. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 13. And Jesus tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So the very first pronouncement of identity, the first thing that Jesus wants his disciples to know who they are, he says, you are salt of the earth. Now, in Jesus' day, they would have had a a pretty good picture of what Jesus was going for here. Salt had a lot of different uses then, just as it does now. But I believe that the prominent thing that Jesus is pointing to is the preservative power that salt had in that day. You have to remember, uh, they didn't have modern refrigeration, so they couldn't just throw that leftover steak in the refrigerator, right, and then come back to it later. What they had was they had salt. And so they would take the salt and they would rub it on the the meat or the, the food that would otherwise spoil. Well, more accurately, they would rub the salt into the meat. This is important because the salt would actually make contact and penetrate the meat, and it would combat the decay. It would slow the deterioration. So this is the picture that they have in their mind when Jesus says, that's you. You are the salt of the earth. Now, they had no doubt, they would have known that their world, as our world now, is in spiritual and moral decay. But Jesus says, you are the preservative power. You, you are the one that's going to come in contact with the world. Jesus says, I want, I want to be clear. I am not here to call you away from the world. I'm here to call you to it. And you are the salt of the earth. Now, notice Jesus does not say, I am the salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He's saying, everywhere that you go, my kingdom will be. Where you are, you're my presence in you, where you go, my kingdom is breaking through. After the first service today, someone came up and told me a, a story. I guess they went to the rodeo this past week, and they said they were there with their company, and there just happened to be this one uh, person, I guess the way the seats fell out, there was just one person kind of sitting in between them, and uh, this lady struck up a conversation with the other lady, and Somehow in the course of the conversation, uh, she said, are you Christian? I, I don't know what it was, but there was something there. said, are, 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 you, are you Christians? And she said, well, yes, actually we are. And the lady had just moved to San Antonio, so she was new to the area. She was by herself, and she just started crying. She, she was like, I, I'm just so glad to, to meet Christians and to, and to see you here. And then I guess there was a moment later that they had a prayer and then she really started to weep. She asked her, she said, what, what, what's going on? She said, I can't believe I'm in a place where, where we're praying in a place like this. You see, even in a moment at the rodeo, became sacred ground. It became sacred ground. And you never know where the kingdom of heaven is going to break out. Well, actually, you do know because that's where the disciples are carrying the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, you you are the salt of the earth. Where you are, that's where heaven is meeting earth. Jesus isn't through with the metaphor. He's not through with the pictures. He goes on in verse 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do 
people light a lamp and, and put it under a bowl. That would be absurd. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus gives them another picture. You are the salt of the earth, and this time he says, you are the light of the world. With this metaphor, they also would have had a pretty clear picture in their mind. A lot of them lived in one-room homes. So there might have been a, a pillar right in the middle that held up this flat roof. But they would have known that the lamp had to be perfectly positioned. Sometimes they would have a lamp and it wasn't all that bright. And so it was really important that the lamp was set on a lampstand because then it could be perfectly positioned and just as Jesus said, then it would give light to everyone in the house. Jesus says, as a lamp is to a house, so you are to the world. You see what Jesus is saying to them and he's saying to us today, he's saying, I'm calling you. I'm commissioning you. And I am perfectly positioning you to not just possess light, but to transmit it to those around you. Do you ever wonder how well positioned you are? I mean, have you ever asked, you know, am I in the right job? Am I in the right neighborhood? Am I in, students, am I in the right school? But could it be, could it be that God has placed you where you are because of who you are and you are light? Could it be that God has perfectly positioned you because there are some people around you who are in desperate need of light? Business leaders, there are some people at your workplace and they need light. And God has placed you there to not just possess the light, but to transmit it for the sake of others. Parents in your home, what an opportunity. God has placed you in that home, right there on that lampstand, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your household, so that they would benefit from the light that shines through you. Students, in your classroom, your your classmates, your teachers, you are perfectly positioned. And Jesus says, I've put you on a lampstand. The last thing you want to do is be hidden or covered with a bowl. You are there to shine. So shine. And when you do, It's not going to be you that gets the glory. The glory is going to go to your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then Jesus goes on, and it seems like a bit of a shift. But I want you to notice, even in these next verses, this is still very strong identity language. Look at what he says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these 
the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And this verse right here, this is a key verse if you want to understand the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 20 is so key. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, Jesus, you've got my attention. And I would imagine that he's got the attention of the disciples at this point. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Now, as Jesus talks about being great in the kingdom of heaven, and that's another piece of this identity, what is he saying? You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. But then he also says, you, are, you will be great in the kingdom of heaven. You will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's great. That sounds good. But then righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes, you have to understand, they're the A-plus students, okay? They're, they're the ones, man, they're the top 1% of the class. And you can't even begin to compete with them. Their classes are so weighted, just don't even try to play the game. They're the best of the best of the best. They're the ones that have all the knowledge and they have the notoriety. And I just have to imagine these disciples saying, thinking, Jesus, who do you, who do you think who do you think we are that our righteousness could exceed that of, of those guys? But here's what they would soon find out. They don't know it at this point, but the man standing right in front of them, the one who is speaking these words, is going to fulfill the law and the prophets, and he's going to do it perfectly, even though it means death on a cross. He will fulfill everything that was said in the law and the prophets. Paul gives us some insight into what's happening here. And remember, this is identity language. But look at what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. God made him who had no sin. Jesus was without sin. He was perfect. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So when he died on the cross, he took our sin and he put it on himself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see the identity language. Jesus had our sin placed on him. He took our sin and in exchange, we gained his righteousness, his perfect living of the law and the prophets. We became the righteousness of God. What an exchange, right? And that is how their righteousness and our righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees because it's not our righteousness. It's his. We have taken on his righteousness. He has given us his righteousness. And that's what we live in. It's not what we live for. It's what we live from. Jesus says, that's who you are. Now, we have to wonder, that's what gives us the, the power. That's what powers us to, to be salt and to be light. But I read a quote this past week and it really got me to thinking the, the quote is from William Iverson. It's a pretty good statement and question. He says, 
a pound of meat would surely be affected by a quarter pound of salt. See where he's going with this. If this is real Christianity, the salt of the earth, where is the effect for which Jesus spoke? Last I checked, I think somewhere around 30% or a little more than 30% of the world claims to be Christian. So where's the effect? Where's the salt? And where's the light? Are we different enough that anyone would ever ask, what makes you so different? Another way to say that is, are we different enough to make a difference? I mean, can you just imagine with me for just a moment, imagine a world in which every single person who claims Christianity begins to live Is it the picture that Jesus is painting living in this kingdom? If every single person began to take very seriously repentance, the mourning of sin, one of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, reconciling with others, if we took very seriously reconciling with those who had wronged us or reconciling with those that we have wronged, if we took very seriously Serving those who are in need, those who are oppressed. Imagine a world where that begins to happen. What an awakening that would be. In fact, we don't have to totally imagine it because it's happening around us right now. How many of you have been watching the the news and maybe you've caught what's happening at Asbury University this week? Okay? Well, if you, if you haven't seen that, what happened was, I don't know, about 10 days ago, they had a routine, just an ordinary chapel service. I think they, they have a chapel service three times a week. But at the end of this particular chapel service, some 10 days ago, well, it never ended. It just, it just happened that people just said, I just, I just want to linger and and. Someone shared their testimony and then people started sharing scripture and then they just continued to worship and day and night, night and day around the clock for the last 10 days they have just been worshiping, they've been praying, they have been um, repenting, reconciling, sharing scripture. People are standing in line to get in. And, and here's, here's what I love about this. Every ethnicity... People are actually showing up right now from around the world to this place. And in in other pockets, in other colleges, in in universities, worship day and night is beginning to break out. Encounters with God, people finding healing, finding salvation. But there's just something about what's taking place right now. I love the simplicity the authenticity, it's, it's, it's organic, but it's just so, just so ordinary. Ordinary chapel service that never seems to end. There is no promotion. There's no program. There's no big names. There's no headliners. There's just students 
that are leading the way, the next generation that's leading the way. Someone said it's a, a nameless and a faceless generation. But friends, this, this is a generation that knows spiritual drought. In fact, you might even say that's all they have ever known. And it's almost like they just showed up and someone found some living water and no one wants to leave. No one wants to move because the Spirit of God is moving. It's as if the next generation's discovering Jesus and they're discovering that they are in fact salt and light. And I'm counting on it. And I believe that they're counting on us to guide them in this move of this next generation. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are my righteousness. Knowing who you are, it puts everything else in perspective. So here's just a few things that I wanna challenge you this week that you can begin to do to embrace the identity that God has given you. Number one, I do wanna encourage you to continue to memorize the Beatitudes. We began that last week. We have eight weeks in this series. We have eight Beatitudes. I wanna encourage you to hide the word of God in your heart, be memorizing scripture, be memorizing scripture in your home with your children. We're on the second one, blessed are those that mourn. So memorize, memorize, memorize. And then number two, ask God to give you opportunities to be salt and light. And as you talk to him about this, you're, you're asking him to answer a prayer that he's already answered. Don't you just love that about prayer? I, lo I love when I can pray something that I know that God has already spoken into existence. He's already said you are. But there's something about prayer and there's something about asking God in humility, God, would you, would you give me opportunities? Because prayer aligns our heart with the will of God and it fuels our relationship with God. So talk to him about it. Ask him, God, show me these opportunities. And then, third, be alert to the Holy Spirit's guidance to those opportunities. You never know where they're going to take place. You never know where heaven might meet earth because everywhere you go the kingdom of heaven is breaking through because you are salt. You are the salt of the earth because you are the light of the world. You are God's righteousness and you are great in the kingdom. Not because of your works but because of the work of Christ on the cross where he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. Knowing who you are changes everything. It puts everything else in perspective. So I've, I've got to ask you a question. Do you, do you know, in your heart of hearts, do you know who you are? Do you know who Jesus says you are? That's probably the better question. Do you know who Jesus says you are? He's got a pronouncement for you. Jesus says, I pronounce you salt of the earth and the light of the world.